Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pride Never Die. Um, for today's episode, I am joined by a very special friend, JJ, who I've wanted to talk to for a while. Um, he has experience being a professional fighter, um, also is a black man and bisexual, but has had to kind of live a life where you can't really express much of your sexuality, especially as um, a man and fighting. Um, JJ, if you would like to elaborate on that background, I would love for everyone to get to hear your side of it. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm going by JJ for this episode, but just to give y'all just some details, a quick uh, run through of my background. Uh, my main style is Muay Thai or Thai boxing. I've been training since I was about 10 or 11 years old. Yeah, I started Yeah, I, tra- I started training about 2009, late 2009, early 2010. And I started competing probably when I was 12. The timeline gets muddy. I've been doing it for so long that I like, I forget how long I've been doing this sometimes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've been training for about 12 years overall fighting for about nine to 10 years, I would say. I've had close to 30 fights, including like a couple exhibition matches when I was younger, just to get started. And I have fought in Europe, in Thailand. I would like to fight more in Asia, but I'm currently not competing at the moment because of the pandemic. Like I was competing, I was pretty active around 2019, 20, early 2020. And uh, after like a hiatus, after a falling out with a previous coach of mine, and I didn't have a coach for a while, and then I started competing again in 2019, kind of without a coach, not necessarily because I had to, but because I wanted to. And because I was coaching at the time, it was hard for me to like reach out and get a lot of help because the thing about being a coach and a competitor is that depending on the gym you're at, you know, People don't want to like train with you and then end up having like, you know, end up finding out that they might compete with you sooner than later, or they just don't like competition in general. Like they just don't want to like cross train, especially if you're at an MMA gym with like jujitsu affiliations, you know, this better, you definitely (laughs) know this better than I do, Garden. Like, you know how it is with that. So like that adds another layer to it where it's like, it gets hard to cross train, which is like something that like has never really sat right with me yeah no i mean it's it coming in with that like from a different perspective too coming in as someone that's been doing muay thai and then you come in and like find out about all of these affiliations and politics that's got to be extra frustrating yeah like it's it was like when i was like when i realized that there were certain gyms i couldn't train at for their muay for their Muay Thai programs, <laughs> keep in mind, not the jujitsu. I'm not like, I wasn't even training jujitsu that much at the time. Like I was dabbling in it every now and then, but I'm like, talk to people like, so you're telling me that I can't go to your Muay Thai class without causing issues, even though you want me there because of your affiliations beef or supposed beef from however long ago with like maybe a couple people who are actually involved from our affiliation like a decade ago like are you kidding like are you for real about this dude like i just want to train man it's not even that serious so like dealing with that it's just like you know what fuck it i'm gonna do this all on my own and i did well for a while but like without having that proper structure and well i had structure in my training but like when i didn't have anybody to like structure like my career and getting the right fights and like actually building back up to be able to fight consistently it was hard to really like stay consistent. And with the pandemic hitting that, it kind of 
all the issues that I had with fighting were expanded tenfold. And at the moment, I'm actually a college student right now. I'm only in my early 20s. I'm 23. I just turned 23 recently, actually. But uh, I like I'm I'm back in school right now, mainly because like I didn't. There's a lot of more fights happening now, but I'm not in a position where I can fight successfully without having a sh- proper training camp, a proper gym, and just general structure. Because in order to do that, you know, you got to go all in. And I'd rather spend at least another year or two getting my degree than gambling, you know, my life on fighting when, you know, it's been hard enough already when I was working and teaching. But like now it's like maybe it's just better for me to wait because I've been still training and working out and doing what I got to do. But it's different now. Absolutely. Yeah. Like even just from being a competitor in jujitsu and being like someone that started about like 15 and then hitting like. 21 22 it was like yeah no i can't i can't go to every competition like i have things to do and like man my body doesn't i don't recover things that well i don't learn that well like i have to put more time in yeah it it was a weird like thing to feel like you're so young but also like no like i can't just compete all the time (laughs) yeah because like i've been i've been doing it for a while and as much as it sucks it's like take a couple years off, even though I'm doing it for the right reasons, like only got maybe like, hopefully I can graduate my degree by May, 2023, which is, I think that's like 2023 or 2024 is what scientists who are not affiliated with the U S government said the pandemic should actually be over. Not, (laughs) which is another topic. That's another reason why, you know, like, you know, technically borders are open technically and like Thailand and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, but personally, because of my personal ethics, you know, I'm not one throughout the whole year too. from like just a base level, you know, fights in Thailand weren't even happening again until like later in 2021. So like you had people going to Thailand, like late 2020, early 2021, expecting fights to keep, be rolling. And then they had to shut down again because of the Delta variant. And these guys in the fight for like, you know, mo- like upwards of six to seven months. So I'm like. I was like, you know, I had a lot of fear of missing out. You know, I see all these like Muay Thai competitions, a lot of people competing and whatnot. So I do experience FOMO a lot. But when I take a step back and look from the outside and I know I'm doing the right thing. And I know that, you know, by the time I get back to fighting again, when I'm in like I'm 24 or 25, I'm not like out of my athletic prime yet. And I'm probably going to be a little bit more experienced and have a lot more perspective than just going like all in and just thinking that doing too much is going to help me out when it probably might send me to an earlier retirement. Right. Yeah. The last thing you want to do is work yourself so hard. Your wheels come off before you even get more chances to fight. Exactly. Something I'm curious about is um, how you felt during your career as a fighter, knowing that like you're already probably getting things that are slightly different in terms of treatment and stuff, just like, being who you are, being a young, like, black kid, being someone that sometimes, like, trainers feel like they can take advantage of already. And then knowing that, like, there are parts of you that you already obviously know, like, you can't express in this place. Like, things aren't always safe, like, to be who you are in this environment. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, you know, because, you know, thing about, like, the martial arts community is that they one 
like false thing that you hear a lot is that uh what's the what, what's the term It's like this is a common thing he's like the mats the mat, everybody's equal on yeah. the mats blah 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 uh-huh. yeah that's what it's like yeah everybody's equal on the mats when it's like on like if if i'm getting technical if i really want to be a dick about it and be technical one everybody is not equal on the mats and if that's the case then take away belt systems <laughs> right <laughs> so, like come on now don't even let's not like act like that especially with the way like you know you know, you you, you met you, you met plenty of people who first get their blue belts and they start acting very different. It's like, dude, you've been training for three years. Relax, man. Like, <laughs> take it easy. And like, and when you take that and you you have that this mindset of, oh, I don't really care who you are. You know, it's fine. It's okay. It's really just not true. Just just not true. Especially like, I actually had a. I think I tweeted about this recently when. Let's say there are like there are martial artists who are out and open out there. But what I've personally seen a lot of is that the reaction to them is like, oh, well, it's no big deal. You're still the same to me when to me, that's the wrong reaction to have. And that's kind of like diminishing their identity and what they had to go through to even come out in the first place. The fact that they even had to come out means that like they aren't the same and they want you to see that. And you should acknowledge that rather than just like, you know, being the way I like to explain it, being colorblind. Like, I don't see race. I don't see gender. I don't see sexuality. It doesn't matter to me. It does matter to you. It does. It matters a lot in the United States, whether you want to believe it or not. So it's important to understand that. And a lot of martial arts gyms just don't get it. Like, especially when you look at the owners and the typical demographics that are that martial arts gyms specifically, like, you know, gyms that, uh, cater to the combat sports like MMA, uh, like Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu, it's a lot less like open-minded, way more like conservative and right-leaning just because of like from the from the foundations of these like businesses and gyms, you know, when you set us when you set tuition rates at a certain price and then and then on top of that, people who can't afford your tuition and are honest about it, your explanation for them is like, oh, they're just not dedicated enough. You know, if you actually cared, you wouldn't care how much the price of the gym is. Now, all of a sudden, you got a bunch of rich assholes in your gym who are most likely going to be conservative, right wing, and very like not sympathetic to, you know, anybody that's not white, straight, or man. Yeah. No, yeah. Definitely ran into a lot of like about two years three years before i ended up like dropping out of jujitsu for a while um my gym started getting more and more like rich guys in and all of a sudden all of a sudden i'm training with a lot more like libertarian guys with asian wives yep (laughs) yep that's yeah that is you know a lot of people in the muay thai community don't want to hear this but like there's a lot of folks like that in muay thai and which shouldn't be shocking considering like, you know, all these like, you know, like the amount of foreigners going to uh, Thailand and somehow like making profitable businesses off of Muay Thai when they're not even that good at it. I'm going right. to just blunt. I'm just going to be very blunt. Like they're not even good. <laughs> and they're like hosting these like Muay Thai like retreats and all that in Thailand and whatnot, you know, taking away money from people who actually live there. And also, like, you know, get guys participating in, like, sex tourism and all that. Like, that's like nobody wants to talk about that a lot in Muay Thai, but they'd be better. 
I think the sport and the community better be better off like addressing those conversations and be getting real about it and how like, you know, just generally how fucked up those <laughs> participating in those things are. And like colonialism is still a thing. That's like the blind spot of Muay Thai. Jiu-Jitsu has a blind spot of just like, you know, dealing with women as a whole. <laughs> like it's like just like then Muay Thai would probably have a blind spot in like, you know, colonialism and just general like understanding the dynamics between like the West and the global South and, and like not viewing the, not viewing things from such a Western lens and like realizing that just because you travel to Thailand doesn't make you more open-minded or nicer than you were before. <laughs> like, it's not how that works. I didn't actively attack anyone in the streets while I was there. So <laughs> that means I was being like really polite. <laughs> exactly. Like, no. It's like they like the tour they like the tourists. It's like, yeah, they do, because you know, that's how they make their money. Like, of course they're gonna be nice. Of course you're 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 always gonna be nice to somebody upon first meeting them. Like it's not like <laughs> that's just how that is. I'm being polite to you. Like I met you right now. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a customer. Exactly. That's another thing too. I feel like a lot of I feel like like there are certain people in the fighting community where I'm like You've like never like worked any like type of like part time job before, <laughs> or if you did, or if you did, you clearly didn't learn a whole lot out of it based on like your current politics right now, which is unfortunate because you of all people should know better. That's that's a weird thing about fighting that I like thought about a lot when I was in jujitsu and stuff. Is like it's such a mix of rich people who have never really worked jobs and either they've been training for forever because like their parents helped them pay for it or they've been training for forever because they didn't start training until they already had a bunch of money or whatever. And then like the other people there are like all incredibly poor. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. I'm scraping everything together to be here right now. And like, that I think that tricks the people that have all that power and all that wealth to being in like, well, we're all friends. Like, no, I can't be mean to you. We're training here. Like, you no, know, you're a dick, but I can't tell you that or I can't come here. Yeah, because nobody wants to deal with that when all they just want to do is train. Like, you know, right. There's a lot of people in the gym who you might who really might just be there to just train and get out for one reason or the other. And you don't know what's going on in their lives and you can't make an assumption about how well you know a person just because you're you're training with them every day. Like I make no I've been doing Muay Thai long enough to not automatically assume whether somebody is a good or a bad person because I only see them at the gym and in no other context because that's not fair to them. And that's just kind of to (laughs) people act different in different settings. That's just, you know, that's just true. In general, that's not really a surprise to most people, but it seems like people think uh, simply training in the same gym means that like all things are equal and people don't feel outcasted. But what a lot of folks don't understand, especially people who think that they're open minded, is that if you assume that everybody around you is like straight or assumes that everybody is in line with your general politics, like motherfuckers remember the conversations that you have in the locker rooms or in the background and the shit that you say, the little, the, the slide, the, the snide political comments you make, or like on certain topics, whenever you want to somehow bring up your opinion on a quote unquote controversial topic. And 
people think a non-response is a response, which it is, but just not the one that they think it is, you know, especially when it comes to like men. A lot of men have this problem where they assume other men are straight. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's like, like. You're the default. Exactly. Or like they assume that like, for me, this is this is for me personally that I I care about them complaining about their you know partners or wives <laughs> or whatever. When I'm like, no offense, but like, it sounds like she loves you and you're totally uninterested in her. And I'm not. This is not sitting well with me, dude. I don't know why you're complaining about because you look like a dick to me right now. And I'm getting like, I'm thinking of you very differently. But like, do you think I'm just like your typical like? straight guy who cares who that's that's small talk to you are you serious man like come on man like i don't want to hear that do you think this is how i treat women exactly like is <laughs> like, it's, it's little things like that that always like it's like you really don't know me at all and like let me not even like bother trying to even come out at this point because what's even the point because you're not gonna know how to act exactly because you don't even know how to act in general. Like, if you're saying this right now in front of me with, like, no knowledge of my actual, like, identity, my life, my politics, and you're, like, spouting off at the mouth all these, like, topics without any context of that, then I don't even want to know what you say if somebody came out, I came out, whoever, you know? Yeah. Because people remember. They absolutely do. Like, I've had a lot of similar things like that. And it, it always is just like the Charles Oliveira tweet where the dude tweeted at him about his wife. <laughs> and he was like, oh, it seems like you might be the problem, man. Hashtag focus. <laughs> that tweet is honestly like, you know, I was rooting for Dustin this weekend, but that tweet, I'm like, you know, I got to root for, uh, for, for the, my boy Oliveira after that. Yeah, we got to go do Bronx. <laughs> Because I thought it was fake. I was like, yo, somebody added it. I went on his account. I'm like, oh my God, it's real. <laughs> no, that's him. <laughs> that was him. He is hanging out in the favela. He's tweeting. He's doing it all. That was fantastic. And honestly, like, I relate to that. And I'm like, thank you, Charles. Thank you for saying. Thanks. Yes. What I've always wanted to say. Someone finally can say it. Yeah. Like, I feel like a lot of just like cis male allies, if you consider yourself an ally, the first step, very easy to do, is just stop assuming. Just stop assuming about people, whether it's a man or not. It doesn't really matter. Just don't assume because you never you just don't know. And a lot of people just don't feel like coming out because they don't want to deal with you all of a sudden acting like a fucking just totally just different person around them because you're unable to uh, you're unable to change your perception of that person, because that's really what it boils down to. People who all of a sudden like think they have to walk. If you think you have to walk on eggshells around a person that you supposedly care about, then that's more on you than it is on them. Because basically what you're really trying to say is that you haven't actually changed your perception of that person when you really should and accept who they currently are. You know, people don't exist in a people don't exist in a static motion. People change all the time. You know, I could change my diet. Right. And people would ex- people would accept that better than me coming out as bisexual. You know, it's like what? Like, that's a fun. That's a pretty important part of my identity. Yet all of a sudden now I have I you telling me I have to cater to your biases and your bigotry because it makes you uncomfortable. But I'm the problem. I'm the bad guy, though. Right. Like, come on. Like, yeah. You changed where that come from. Yeah. A note to our loyal listeners. If you love the Southpaw Project. 
please support us and help us get paid for our labor, by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content, as well as our private chat group on Discord. Show your Southpaw solidarity, by supporting us, at patreon.com, slash, southpawpod. That's a big thing that, like, I think people kind of misunderstand a lot when they think about being closeted and stuff in different spaces. They think that the person who's being closeted is uncomfortable with themselves. And that's not always the case, especially somewhere, like, within martial arts and things like that, where, like, no, I'm completely comfortable with who I am. But, like, if I tell you who I am, you're going to be so weird about it. I can't be comfortable here. Exactly. That's really like, that's exactly, that's the best way to really describe it, especially in my case. Cause it's like, you know, it was not, it was, it was comfortable until you made it uncomfortable. Basically <laughs> it's like, now you're making this, this a whole weird experience for me when it doesn't even have to be because like, it's just really like difficult. Cause it's like, it'd be much easier if I lived in a perfect world where I could be out. But like with the state of, combat sports right now of how reactionary it is it's just really not worth it at this point because you know the people in my life who i want to know they know and you know that's like i'm cool with that i'm cool with who i am i'm not really like you know i'm not really having like like i do have conflicts internal conflicts every now and then no doubt about that that like that does happen but you know sometimes the alternative for coming out might leave would might leave somebody not just me might leave somebody in general in a position that could leave them in danger, like actual danger. And I'm privileged enough to be, even though I'm a black man, I'm still a man, a cis man at that. And I'm more masculine presenting. So I guess I have the privilege of passing as straight, which again, people really shouldn't assume that anybody's straight, <laughs> especially these days. But I have, I do like look more, ma- I'm more masculine. You know, I've been playing sports my whole life. You know, I fucking play basketball, wrestle, play video games, listen to like, you know, listen to listen to rap, hardcore music. I'm like, I'm like your guy's guy, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, all of a sudden, if I say, oh, yeah, I'm actually bisexual, then it's like, wait, what? That changes everything. Right? That, that changes everything. It was not on my list for guy's guy. And another thing, too, about that is like, in like martial arts, in the UFC, for example, and this was actually mentioned in a Southpaw episode not that long ago, too, about like, it's common to see like fighters who are lesbian, but even within that context, it's like, it's almost like that, uh, that dumbass question that like, you know, people try to ask what, to be funny. It's like, so who's the, who's the man and the woman in the relationship? Shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> and like, even like those relationships are presented in that type of manner, like that stereotypical manner. Yet somehow, if I were to say, yeah, there's definitely been some like gay or bisexual UF, like male UFC fighters, people would be like, well, how's that possible? Like, I haven't seen any. <laughs> it's like, well, oh my God. Like, what do you like? What do you want? Just do the math, man. Why do you think? Why do you think? <laughs> my gay heart didn't go off. <laughs> <laughs> now, I will say, I won't name any names, but there are a few UFC fighters who are active currently who I'm. The, my the gaydar goes off for goes off right. for me for a couple of them. There's a, there's a couple who are like, you know, there's a, there's a few things that aren't adding up to this story. And I don't know why a guy like you is not married at your age. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, considering your religious background. 
some people might know who I'm talking about, but I know, <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm gonna stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be slightly more direct with the Paulo Costa tweet I saw where he said a trans girl without a penis is like an angel without wings. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Oh my god. Uh, he did tweet that. He did tweet that. <laughs> I totally forgot. I totally forgot about that. Oh my god. Yeah, there's like there's like some fighters where I'm like, you know, you're like really going all in on this masculinity thing, and then something you say something where you really slip up. And I'm like, whoa, yeah. hold up, man. Like, oh, what? <laughs> like, how do you know about that? I don't know if I believe in Freudian slips, but this is one if I've ever seen one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's part of the thing that's always, like, so entertaining to me about different things, like, even in pro wrestling and in MMA, um, just seeing, like, hyper-masculinity played up to a certain point always starts to read now as queer. <laughs> Because you eventually hit a point where you're like, you're doing just like Tom of Finland, like (laughs) drawings. And like, I think that's one of the things that makes me want to get like more queer people in as like an audience to be like, no, look, yes, they made it gay by accident. Look, (laughs) you need to see. I think that's a fantastic idea. It's like the, uh, it's like, like the UFC is like the UFC and even like some aspects of pro wrestling from when I like was still watching it. It's literally like the like the physical manifestation of that meme. Like, fellas, is it gay? To uh... yeah, <laughs> <laughs> fellas, is it gay to hug after every brutal fight you have? <laughs> I think I actually said that. It's like men would rather go into combat in the in the square circle <laughs> than go to therapy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know that there are some fighters that like when I watch them hug their opponent at the end when they're all like high on adrenaline and kind of like been punched in the face, but. That's when I'm like, oh, man, you know, that's like the only time he hugs a guy. Yeah. And it's sad, too, you know, because it's like, dude, like, you know, you can hug somebody, right? Like, I, right. I, you don't have to. <laughs> like, I hug my friends all the time just because it's like, man, it's like, it's good to see you. <laughs> like, right. Because <laughs> I love my friends. Exactly. Like, it's OK <laughs> to, like, portray, like, you know, physical, like, touch as an expression of your love. And it's OK to also say that, you know, you love your your male friends. It doesn't necessarily make you straight or gay it just means that you love your friends you know <laughs> that's 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 okay like it seems like we're where every other sport is like trying to progress now i'm not saying now a lot of homophobia transphobia is not unique to mma right like i'll be clear about that it's not unique to mma but it seems like where other sports are at least attempting to progress like mma is doubling down and actively going backwards yeah which is another thing where it's like you know I constantly see like jujitsu like instructors post on their public pages like these homophobic, transphobic piece of shit rants. And to me, I'm like, if you're freaking out this much in 2021 about a gay man, if you're freaking out that much about a gay man in 2021, if I were to say that I'm bisexual, your brain might not even be able to comprehend that. Like, I'm not even in, I don't even want to explain. He's like, cause you know, a lot of people are still of the mindset of like, well, either you're gay or straight where it's like, dude, okay. All right. I'm not even going to win this. This is an argument. I'm just not going to, I don't even want to entertain this anymore. Like, come on now. Let's not, let's not be that dense. You don't even understand the idea of spectrums. Exactly. That's (laughs) exactly like they freak out at gay men. Like, which like, it's like, man, if, you're reacting that poorly to a gay man in this day and age 
then like you are you're clearly just not gonna fuck with me at all right that's not it like i'm just the worst thing ever to you at this point (laughs) and then you know being black and bisexual like on top of with my politics i am like public enemy number one in combat sports you know (laughs) is like especially you know there's a lot of black athletes specifically in mma but i feel like mma especially like I'm keep naming the UFC, but the UFC is the biggest promotion at MMA. So that's what this conversation is really going to have to go direct to a lot. But they seem to want a certain type of black person, you know, to uplift or uplift or use as a bootstrap story until they no longer want that person to use anymore. When that person actually wants to uh, be, be treated like what they're worth. For example, Francis Ngannou. What happened with him is fucking dead wrong, you know? Here he is. Everybody's, like, you know, praising his story. Dana White, Joe Rogan, all these white commentators talking about, see how this guy came from nothing. He worked his way up, you know, picked himself up by his bootstraps. Then the very second that Nganu actually acts the way, acts what he's worth and demands, you know, some type, you know, some type of financial compensation for, you know, him being one of the more entertaining fighters in the UFC, now all that switched up immediately. It's like watching like a retcon happen in real life. Now he's enemy number one. So it's like, okay, so he's clearly disposable. Meanwhile, everybody's talking about getting Conor McGregor a title fight after this weekend, you know? (laughs) Right. Like funny how that works. And especially the whole Conor McGregor thing, which I didn't talk about a lot in, uh, you know, in 2017, 2016, when he was like, Stealing his heyday. One thing that I noticed, but I didn't talk about because I didn't have the political analysis that I do have now, is how so many white MMA fans latched onto him immediately, and he could do no wrong. And even now, you see uh, the way they talk about Conor McGregor compared to other fighters, and it's the new, he's basically the new great white hope. Yeah, despite. Not that not being that good of no. If there's if you're gonna have a great white hope, I'm like I hate to say it. Those guys gonna sound controversial. At least like do somebody like Colby Covington. As he's a piece of shit, but he at least he's a good fighter <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> like Jesus Christ, like don't go of a guy whose most significant win is against Donald Cerrone. You know, you're still latching on to that story. Like come on, y'all. Like now you're just doubling down and just not knowing MMA and just like. Hoping that, you know, Conor McGregor, yeah, look at this guy. He's, I'm just like him. He's just like me. Like, uh, no, no, <laughs> that's not true. But the way people talked about Conor McGregor, I noticed this specifically with the Jose, uh, Jose Aldo fight. And I, when I was coming up, like he, him and Anderson Silva were my two favorite fighters. So like watching that loss really hurt me as a, as a kid. And like, I was like a teenager, I was like a teenager at the time. And like him losing really like hurt, especially like, you could see how angry he got because of McGregor and the shit that McGregor was saying and just riling him up. And when I saw that, I could relate to that because I get it. I know why he was angry, even though what is the right strategy? I fucking get it. I understand why he was so angry. And, you know, when you're like a person of color, which Jose Aldo is, if you know anything about Brazil's history, you would know that. But if not, look it up, please. (laughs) Especially if you do jiu-jitsu, please look up racial politics in brazil please right so you can actually understand the sport that you're doing and the origins of it but anyway i digress anyway well like 
when I saw like how mad he got, despite how he usually fights, that was when I knew I'm like, you know, even though he lost, that was a very human moment to see in a fighter. You know, one of the one of probably at the at that point in time, he's probably the number one pound for fighter pound for pound fighter in the world at that time, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, you know, to see him look that vulnerable, hurt. And that's just kind of like a testament to how everybody was hyping him up. And then all of a sudden, Conor McGregor became the best featherweight ever overnight. And Jose Aldo was washed and he sucks and this and that. Despite the fact that he's now literally probably going to fight for the Bantamweight title (laughs) in his second prime. And people are still like, oh, he's washed. He's not as good as he used to be. Well, no shit. He's not as good as he used to be. But. What else does he have to do to cement his legacy? Meanwhile, people, I mean, look, the fact that Conor McGregor is still ranked in the top 10 at all is very generous because in my opinion, he shouldn't even be in the top 15 at this point in his career. I'm going to be very clear on that. And yet people are sitting here still trying to convince me that he's like the best and he's still like one of the best lightweights in the UFC when from a number, from a stats perspective, and just, you know, just taking a look at his recent fights, it's just not true. But Jose Aldo, you say, yeah, Jose Aldo is going to cement his legacy as one of the best ever. That's a controversial statement. Like, what's the difference? <laughs> Coming out at his age in a smaller weight class and not only outstriking, but then out grappling like opponents that are really skilled. Yep. And. Conor McGregor got knocked out and then his bones broken by the same dude twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he gets more like he gets a lot more leeway and opportunity to mess up than somebody like Jose Aldo. Like one loss is, defines his career. And it seems like, you know, black athletes live in this dichotomy where it's like even if you are not political and you're a good athlete, the moment that you don't do well, everybody's off your hype train now and you suck now and you're the worst. And then like, and then on the flip side of that, let's say you are an outspoken black athlete or just an outspoken athlete of color in general. Now, all of a sudden you just need to, as I like to say, shut up and dribble. Like you just need to play, entertain us. We're the spectators at the gladiator matches. You need to shut up and entertain us, you know? So it's like, so basically it can win. Unless I'm just winning and keep my mouth shut and just avoid the press com- press conferences and all that, which would make me seem like angry or defined, like, oh, look, typical angry black guy. Look at him. Oh, there he goes. And it's like, there's no winning. Well, there's no winning <laughs> with us, you know? Yeah, it's like MMA in particular seems to still do this thing where they want to have caricatures of identities for people. Where, as you're saying, athletes of color have to fit these one of two molds. And if you don't, then people are going to freak out. Same thing with like the lesbian fighters we mentioned earlier. Yeah, like, exactly. If you're not, if you're not a butch lesbian that like has <laughs> yep. this pretty wife and like you live in like this cute house, like you have to have this identity and like be super masculine to be allowed to be a lesbian. Like, but if you're not masculine and traditional, I like just a total contradiction. <laughs> but right. still. Like traditional couple style of like it's just like mm-hmm. the if they and because the UFC doesn't say it explicitly, people are like will be like, Oh, you're reading too much into it. Where it's like sometimes you don't have to know 
you don't, somebody doesn't have to say anything in order for you to know what their intentions are at the end of the day. You know, their actions, actions speak louder than words. And what somebody can, what somebody, especially an organization like the UFC consistently shows is that if you're of a certain identity, you need to fall within these very specific criteria of within this identity. Otherwise, you're just not going to get any opportunities and we're going to be very blunt about it. And, you know, fuck you if you disagree with that, as Dana White would probably say. Right. It's just one of those things, too, where, like, it seems seems so ridiculous to be asking for such specific things. Like, I always, anytime I see, like, the Modelo commercials that have Amanda Nunes in it. Oh, yeah. I'm always like, that's, yep. they're very always playing up, like, no, she can have a beer, but she's wearing, like, a leather jacket. oh yeah i know exactly what you're talking about like yeah it's just so cartoonish of a thing even when like fighters there's another thing too i think this was a this might have actually been mentioned in a softball episode as well about the the fact that you know one thing i like about boxing and one thing i love about pro wrestling especially like in the japanese circuit is the walkouts and the walkout outfits in the attire and theme songs and the music that they come out to, that's like, even though it might be a work or a gimmick, it's still an ex- extension and an expression of themselves and what they wear. In the UFC, you can't even do that. You know, <laughs> you can't even get that in a minute. Israel Adesanya got yelled at for dancing. Yep. I was going to bring him up actually. Like, he came out with one of the, probably, in my opinion, the best walkout in the, U- in the UFC by far. And he got snuffed for it because. Here he is, you know, a guy who I think he was like pro dance. He was like a professional dancer at one point in his life. I think, yeah, he was actually a really good dancer. And then Dana White's like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't like any of that. It's like Dana, I know what you're like, Dana. I know what you're thinking. You you don't want to say it out loud, but you're basically like, I can't have these black guys dancing around and stuff. What is this? This isn't some hip hop show or some nonsense like that. I know what you're thinking, Dana. You just don't want to say it. Like, come on now. Like, that's why you got so mad about that, dude. Like. It's, it's little things like that that people might be like, oh, you know, it's his business. He can do whatever he wants with it. Where it's like, you're missing the bigger picture. Like, the fact that that caused such an issue where, let's say, a guy like Greg Hardy joined in the UFC is not an issue. Or John Jones still having any type of clout is not an issue. But Israel Adesanya dancing, that's, the biggest, that's your biggest concern right now, Dana White. Like, okay, now I get where your priorities lie as far as who you want to deal with, which black athletes you actually like care about more. And it seems like the black athletes who are upholding more tenets of whiteness get a lot more love in the UFC from what I can tell. Not sure if this will be able to come out in time for this, but uh, I wanted to ask you about how you do feel about this weekend's fights. Oh yeah. Well, I'm glad you asked about that. Honestly, uh, I haven't actually looked at the rest of the card. I've only looked at the, uh, I'm on, I'm honestly I've been so zeroed in on like Dustin Poirier fighting Charles Oliveira that I literally didn't realize until you just asked me I'm like fuck I haven't even looked at the rest of the card yet. <laughs> but uh, there's a whole card on that. <laughs> but like this fight is like style wise it's just an interesting matchup and it's very hard. Like outside of the fact that I like both fighters, even if I was looking at this objectively, it's very hard to like say for sure who's going to win. Because I really want to go with Dustin, but, you know, Charles Oliveira has shown that, like, he's leveling up every fight, you know? Three fights ago, he might not have been able to beat Michael Chandler in the way that he did, but, you know, 
after, you know, slowly, like, taking harder fight after harder fight, winning more impressively every fight, I just don't know what's going to happen when he fights against Dustin because it seems like ever since this resurgence of his, he seems like the type of fighter where the better you are, the better he is, if that makes sense. You know, sometimes if somebody's talented, they might not necessarily uh, show it early on in their career because they're still like trying to find their way, their style. And, but they, but you know that they have something in them that can make them very, that can make them very good. They just haven't awakened it yet. And I feel like for uh, Charles Oliveira, now he's entering, like he's na- he's now in his prime now, not like a second prime. Like he's now in his prime. So we might see something very interesting this fight because he is a very, he's a very skilled grappler. So even if Dustin is winning the striking exchanges, if it goes to the ground, I would probably put my money on Charles Oliveira. Now, Dustin Poirier is also very good on the ground. But Charles Oliveira, what, I think he has the most submissions in UFC history, I believe, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. So that's not, you know, that's something to take into account. So all things considered, it's like, fuck. Okay, so I got one guy who would probably have the advantage striking. I got another guy who would probably have the advantage grappling. So what's going to be the difference maker there? Who knows? Like, it just depends. I think this is one of these fights for me personally, where right now, at this moment in time, I'm going to say I got Dustin Poirier winning. However, that might change very fast after the first round, depending on how it goes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, who know, Like, who knows? And that's why I'm really, and, that's, and honestly, that's why I'm really excited for this fight, because I love fights like this, where it's like, I don't know who's going to, I have no idea who's going to win. I actually love that. It could be anyone. And that's how I feel with a lot of bandwagon fights these days too. So like, it's exciting to get that feeling like almost like back to back these recently with all these boxing fights, MMA fights, even Muay Thai fights happening where I'm like, man, I don't even know. Like, you know, I have a pick, but I wouldn't be shocked if I was wrong with that pick because it's just such a toss up when two guys are like at the peak of their careers right now. It's just hard to decipher. You can break it down all you want, but something might happen in that fight that might completely like that might be completely brand new and unexpected, which would be fantastic if it happens. Even if I don't have a if I'm even if I don't sound resolved in my choice, I don't care. I'm just expecting a very entertaining fight to happen this weekend. I think, you know, this is one of those fights where, you know, if y'all got friends who've never watched MMA or combat sports, you know, this is one of those weekends. This might be a good weekend to introduce them to the sport because I have a feeling there's something cool is going to happen. Yeah, I I cannot imagine it being like a slow five-rounder. That's not... Nope, no. <laughs> nope. I mean, I remember I was watching the uh, uh, the Oliveira versus uh, Ferguson fight with my youngest brother. <laughs> and when Oliveira, I think he had like a heel hook on Ferguson. <laughs> And I told my brother, I was like, yo, look away right now. He's like, why? I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I feel like with the camera angle we're watching, I'm going to win this a bad injury, which it didn't. I think the the bell rang, fortunately. I didn't have to see Tony Ferguson get his knee torn off. But it still looked like it hurt. <laughs> yeah, it looked bad. terrible. I didn't, I, I couldn't look at it. I couldn't even watch the replay because I could feel it. I could feel that in my knee. But like seeing him just like go through all of these legitimate contenders, it's like, there is clearly something there that needs to be watched, looked out for. And I have my money on Oliveira against other contenders because of, 
you know, what I've seen from their fights and his recent fights. Like, for example, the Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler fight showed a lot. And what I really got out of that fight, as entertaining as it was, is that, one, Michael Chandler will lose in a rematch to Oliveira, assuming Oliveira wins against Poirier. Let me be very clear about that. He leaves himself way too wide open, and he still hasn't found an answer for those leg kicks. Justin Gaethje also has the same issue. He's just a little bit more technical and has a little bit better defense. However, I don't think he would be able to beat, if he fought the way he did against Chandler, I don't see him beating either of them. So, which goes to show not how bad Justin Gaethje has gotten. He's still just he's still just as good. It's more of a testament to how good Charles and Dustin have gotten, if anything. Yeah, I think that fight really opened up for me, like how impressive that Michael Chandler victory was for Oliveira to not only get rocked and then KO him, but to KO someone that like Justin Gaethje couldn't put away. Exactly, Justin that Gaethje it- was hitting as hard as he could possibly could and still couldn't put him away. And that's what really like that's why. Now, like, I originally thought, I'm like, you know, I love Charles Oliveira, but I think Dustin's going to take this one. Now I'm kind of like, shit, I don't know, because, right. you know, because Dust- Dustin might be winning a lot of striking exchanges, and then all of a sudden, Oliveira might see something, time it well, and drop him with something. I don't know, because that could happen. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, Dustin has a tendency to, like, want to shift in his stance as he advances. Yeah. And, like, he, he could always, like, switch that stance and run into a left hook like you don't know <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah exactly like now because now i'm concerned i'm like shit you know something that dustin might have been able to get away with for a long time might actually fire back against him this fight if charles Oliveira now has that timing and eyesight of a striker now like now that that becomes a problem when somebody develops that uh i like to call it like a striker's intuition probably sounds like some abil- hidden ability in anime or something that's i had to make it sound cool i always say this in my classes but like, i gotta make certain things sound a little bit cooler this is your passive ability <laughs> basically and it's like that striker's intuition is something that even a lot of pro mma fighters even if they come from like a solid backlink uh, grappling background excuse me but if they come from a solid grappling background they could do very well in pro mma but their striking offense and mainly their striking defense might not ever be up to par because they don't have that eyesight. They don't have that like that sixth sense of where their range is at, where punches are going to be, where their punches are going to be. And like you see that a lot in boxing. Like if you watch a good boxer, it's not even close to what we what we would consider a good striker. At least back then. These days, there's better strikers joining MMA, mainly from like kickboxing or like Muay Thai because there's you pretty much make you make a little bit more money doing MMA than Muay Thai, definitely. But, you know, I think Charles Oliveira is getting developing that eyesight and that comfortability where he's able to see things a little bit more on the feet. Because he started out, he, you know, he was a jiu-jitsu standout before anything. He still is. But he didn't start out striking. But I think, you know, he's been, he's joined, he was part of the UFC when he was 20 years old. He's in his early 30s now, in early 30s now. I think now he's finally got that like that I that striker's intuition. Even if he's not the best striker, his ability to see him counter now, that is going to be very important. And it'll actually open up opportunities for him to grapple more. Because if you're not afraid to stand and bang with somebody, then getting on the ground, that ain't shit. That's no issue. Because now you're not afraid of getting hit anymore. If you love the Southpaw project, 
please support us and help us get paid for our labor, by financially supporting us on Patreon. It'll help us supplement the cost of running this project, the incredible time and energy we put into it 7 days a week. And you'll be giving us some breathing room, not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also to expand Southpaw into other areas. Show your Southpaw solidarity, by supporting us, at patreon.com, slash, SouthpawPod. And, I also feel like that has a lot to do with him moving back up to lightweight as well, because it seemed like, Charles Oliveira reminded me, reminded me a lot of myself, when I was still fighting at like 125 pounds, where a lot of people assumed that he had a lot of like, quote unquote, quit in him. Which was like, yeah, when you're watching it, yeah, it's true. But what a lot of people don't realize is a lot of what's considered heart more so has to do with like cardio. And when you cut as much weight as a lot of MMA fighters do, an MMA fighter who like gets dropped a lot, take a look at their weight cut. And what you usually will see is that they cut too much fucking weight. And that's why they can't take any damage. And when I moved up a weight class, all of a sudden, I stopped getting dropped as much, you know? Times where I would get dropped a lot in fights. There's some times where I would get dropped in fights where I moved up in weight class and like the same strike didn't affect me at all. Funny how that works. And I think that has a lot to do with like him being able to take a little bit more damage. Like, yeah, he got dropped in the Michael Chandler fight, but Michael Chandler is known for dropping people despite being mainly a wrestler. A lot of wrestlers are just explosive. Even if they have poor defense, if they hit you, you're going to feel it. So that's not to be, that's kind of to be expected in a fight like that. But his ability to come back from it and still have his wits about him and counter and finish Chandler, that's important. And that shows that he's got a little bit more grit to him. Yeah, I think a lot of people really underestimate how much just like having that extra bit of body weight, being allowed to like fill out your frame, how much that has to do with just being a little bit more durable. If It's so important. And that's why like I personally advocate you know, now this applies to all weight classes, but especially anybody who competes at like any weight below like 145, really, it's just really not worth it to cut as much weight. Now, nobody's going to listen. People are still going to do it, but there's no benefit to just cutting that much weight when you're already in weight classes that aren't necessarily known for knockout power anyway. So you're not getting, you're not gaining a strength advantage. Now, grappling wise, all right, it might be different. But at the end of the day, you know, most people who are like in combat sports who are like between 125, 135 pounds, maybe 140 pounds are already grappling with people bigger than them anyway. So that's not really a good excuse. That's not a good excuse either. You know, I fully expect like Cody Garbrandt to cut down to 125 and look way worse. Yeah, me too. And and even though like I legitimately believe that he does only walk around at like what? I think 140, I believe 140. Right. Yeah. But what a lot of people don't realize is that 15 pounds for a 100, cutting 15 pounds for somebody who's 140 pounds is not even close to being the same as cutting 15 pounds for somebody who's like, you know, 170, cutting down to 155. Like, it's rough on his body. Like, the picture of him, like, that's basically what I was looking like in 2019 when I was like fighting at like 124. I started off the year fighting at 124 and then. When I fought in Thailand, I ended up fighting at like 138, 140 pounds, and I did fine. <laughs> All right. I feel really stupid for the times that I was like weight cutting for jujitsu. Like, 
weight cutting down from like 225 to like 185 because my coach was like yeah but you're really short she did see though <laughs> like, like i don't <laughs> like, i'm just grappling why do you i don't even get paid yeah but you're really short you should win that's another thing yeah actually you brought up a very point, good point car and like if especially at the amateur level, just don't cut so much goddamn weight. Right. What are you doing? If you're not getting paid, it's just not worth it to do that much damage to your body. You know, I told somebody I made it as a joke, but I'm like partly serious when I say this. I told somebody they were, they asked me, I'm like, they were like, would you ever fight at like 125, 126 again? And I'm like, yeah, if I get a purse for a Muay Thai fight, I know these are low numbers, but like, yeah, if I get a purse of like 10K to show up at 10K to win. So I'm not fucking cutting that much weight if I'm not getting paid to do it. And I need to be fighting for a title if I'm doing it. <laughs> I will cut weight for $10,000, yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't even do it for that. I'd be like, actually, nah, if I'm going to fight at 125, 126, it needs to be for a title. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm not even playing with that because that weight cut is just rough on my body. It sucks. So, yeah, take, take our advice, y'all. Like, if you're not getting paid to fight, just don't cut weight. Please don't. Right. It's just not. It's not smart. It's not worth it. It really isn't. I can't believe the amount of things people do go through sometimes, like the amateur fights. Like I watched friends compete for amateur MMA, and like you don't get paid. I watched this guy get like busted open in the first round, ton of ground and pound, like just landed right onto his face, and then he got the triangle in round two, which was cool. But like, man, now you got this win, and you're gonna like try to go out there again and do it. Because you feel like you and like, uh, you're not getting paid. You're not getting paid to take head trauma, especially when you know somebody, right? You know, especially when you like know that person. And you're like, this is like, is what's the end goal, man? Like, do you want to do this professionally, or are you just like, what's the end goal? What are your what's your goal to do this? Because like, you need to start like thinking about that. Otherwise, you're just going to take unnecessary damage at a certain point. It's a little bit of like my coach mentality also coming up to be like, man, if you're going to take amateur fights, you need to win the amateur fight. Like, yeah, clean. I told like <laughs> I've had a couple of conversations with, of guys who like either cut too much weight or have gotten hit too often. And I'm like, look, man, these are amateur fights you're fighting as somebody who knows you and as somebody not just as like your like not as your trainer, but as a friend. I am not interested in watching you get knocked out again when you're currently like 0-2 or 0-3 right now. And also, this weight cut is killing you. So you need to do either one of two things. You either need to win this next fight or you need to actually be in shape before the fight and not cut 30 pounds every amateur fight you have because you get you bulk up when you and not train. And then you have a shitty weight cut and then you leave yourself more susceptible to getting knocked out or getting tired in the fight. So unless like, and if you want to fight at a professional level to be harsh, to be blunt about it, you will not do well at the professional level. If those are the habits that you're building as an amateur, you know, sometimes it's better to just stop fighting and then readjust in order to build better habits as a competitor, whether it's Muay Thai, MMA, Jiu-Jitsu, it doesn't really matter. It's all, all sports are the same. And one thing I always tell people in like uh, my Muay Thai classes when I was still teaching, it's like understand don't don't overcomplicate things if you come from an athletic background or you play sports it's really kind of all the same as far as what you need to do to prep for it and the most consistent thing is consistency just be consistent 
you don't have to be 100% every day, but you know, you show up every day, do a little bit here, do more there, do a little bit here, do a little more there, dial back, but you're consistent with it. It's going to make you build better habits and it's just more sustainable in the long run. And you won't hate the sport that you, you're supposed to love. I think it's also a thing where so many people are convinced of like age being so big of a deal, specifically in combat sports, but in all sports. Yes. And like, yes, they don't understand the concept of wear and tear instead of like, <laughs> yes. Like, it doesn't matter how young you are. If you've been doing this for forever, you're going to get torn up. Your body's going to get torn up. Like, you're going to feel way older. Like, I have shoulder and back and neck problems that I should not be having at 26 because I spent so much time inverting and trying to, like, tornado sweep 200-pound <laughs> men. Like, it's, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got, I'm now dealing with, like, you know, like, uh, problems with my, like, adductors, my groin, my hips, just from all the, like, just crazy shit that I did with like Muay Thai. Muay Thai requires so much hip dexterity, different from like jujitsu, but still like emphasis on like moving the hips in weird ways and like with like in awkward positions and like getting out of like constantly like pulling, like turning my kicks over a lot, pulling them out from people catching my kicks. And like I'm starting to feel I'm 23 and I'm already starting to feel it. So like what like I what is it? I hate one thing that's common a lot, even in the Moisai community, which I still don't understand why this is such like a confusing question for most for a lot more people than I expected. But there's a thing where, you know, a lot of people kind of glamorize the Thai fighters in Thailand. They're like, Oh yeah, they start so young. It's like, but they, you know, a lot of them retire in their early twenties. It's like and some like some people still have the audacity to ask why. It's like, why would they retire in their early twenties? And I'm like, dude. I would retire in my early 20s. If I was fighting, like, basically professionally since I was, like, you know, anywhere as young as five to, like, seven years old, when, if you've been trained, if you've ever trained Muay Thai in Thailand, you know how it goes because it's the same at every gym. There's the camp that, like, caters to, like, the foreigners and the visitors, and there's the fighters camp that caters to the fighters who are sponsored and literally live at that camp and have to fight that's their job they have to fight every month because that's how they put food on the table and how they are able how the camp is able to get their money's worth out of them because they're sponsored just because they're sponsored doesn't mean that sponsorship comes for free and they can just fuck around so when you're doing that from seven years old to like 1920 you don't have a whole lot of time to like you know be a kid have fun you know a lot of these tie fighters they want to have like they want to go out. They want to go to bars. They want to go to school. They want to have girlfriends. They want to fuck around. They want to be on social media because, you know, they're still kids. So, of course, they want to retire young because, you know. They just had a 20-year career. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, why wouldn't they retire young? I would. Because I, I told myself personally, you know, if I start fighting at, like, 25, once I'm, you know, 32, between 32 and 35, depending on where my career goes, I'm done. That's it. Like. As in for me, because if I fight until I'm 30 or 35, that would mean that I've been fighting for over 20 years. If you put yeah, if you put that in perspective, even though I'm not, I don't consider 30s to be young. I don't even consider your early 40s to be old, to be honest. Most people don't even like figure out who they are until they're, they're in their 30s, which a lot of people don't want to accept. But that's kind of the case from what I've experienced. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... That's, I love getting to talk to like all of my friends and stuff that are like older and in their fifties to sixties and being able to have some of them be like, man, I still don't know what I'm doing. Exactly. I let, yeah. Great. Cool. 
<laughs> yeah, it makes me feel so much better. It makes me feel so much better. <laughs> How, like, what do you find entertaining about certain fighters? Like, what makes you someone that's, like, going to be, like, I need to see this fight? Like, I know a lot of people out there that are in the MMA community are, like, just wanting to see, like, people get hurt. But when you're a technical athlete, like, what is it that gets you going about watching a fight? You know, that's a that's actually a really good question. And for me, I would say I love watching fighters who are able to execute a game plan with the weapons that they have. Even if they are they seem limited, it's amazing what an athlete can do when they know how limited they are compared to other people, yet they still manage to win anyway. You know? And well, a lot of people in MMA don't actually understand who is and isn't athletic, which also relates back to race. Race, they see like a black fighter, like, oh, he's so athletic. It's like, no, that guy's been wrestling since he was seven years old. Like, he's he's not just fast. Like, Jesus Christ, he doesn't have an extra leg bone in his in his thigh or whatever you believe, Joe Rogan. I know he, I know the people he's been hanging out with. I mean, I'm gonna name right, drop. Yeah, that I'm gonna name drop Joe Rogan this fucker. But anyway, but anyways, like what. It, I love to watch is like people who not only are like technical and can execute a game plan, but I also like watching fighters who, you know, me personally, I have a striker's bias, but I also do really like grapplers who can deal with good strikers because one, it's a lesson for me to take and something for me, I it's a lesson for me to take. And also, you know, why I like a guy like uh, Habib, is because even though for all for like for what is worth, yeah, he wasn't like the most technical or pretty striker, but he was a fantastic striker for what he wanted to do, if that makes sense. Like everything he did striking wise was intentional and it worked. Even though it didn't look like, you know, he ain't he's not coming out looking like Israel Adesanya, but so what? And even Israel Adesanya, I love watching him because there's a lot of kickboxers and Muay Thai fighters that make the transition to MMA and they fail tremendously. Why? It's because they get overconfident in their striking or their striking style was actually never that good for MMA in the first place. And from what I've noticed is that the counter strikers tend to do better in MMA because MMA caters. MMA is actually, you don't want to be that brawler in MMA. Most of the time. Now, there are other people who are good brawlers, but, you know, they at least have a grappling background. But if you're come from like a heavy hand, heavy low kick style, but you don't have good grappling, then all somebody's going to do when you start teeing off on them is just take this, just take you down and wear you out and deal and nullify that pace you were going at. But fighters who are able to be patient, pick their shots accordingly, and they know when the knockout is there. I love watching that because. You know, even though MMA is seen as like a gladiator barbarian sport, even amongst the competitors, is that I like seeing fighters who carry themselves like athletes, not fighters. I know that sounds crazy, but like, that's the way I see it. I had a coach one time tell me that uh, he's like, I prefer calling Muay Thai fighters. He's like, I don't like using the term Muay Thai fighter. I like using the term Muay Thai athlete because fighter and athlete come with different connotations. And ever since he said that, I've taken that to heart. And I understand why he said that, because I look at the state of the MMA in general, and there's a lot of fighters, but there's not a lot of athletes. That makes sense. And a lot of that has to do with just like the economic incentives. 
you know, these guys can't train full time because, you know, they're probably working full time, if not more. And then trying to squeeze in the jujitsu, a rolling session every now and then, a couple of nogi sessions every now and then, some striking. Probably aren't even able to show up to like the actual Muay Thai class, the technique class. They just come for the sparring classes. And like what a lot of people don't understand, and this is for those who don't train MMA, because there's a lot of people, as much as I might not, I might be on my Twitter giving people shit, like MMA fan <laughs> shit for like not training and think and like commentating on like fights and whatnot. But to be fair, like to really be honest, I understand why a lot of people don't train MMA. One is because it's expensive as hell. Let's be real. It's pretty expensive. Two, it's just there's it requires a lot of commitment and dedication that a lot of people just don't have time for. So I understand that. Like all jokes aside, I get that. I understand people who don't train. But for those who don't train and who don't train and don't deal with fighters and have not been in like the inner work and the inner workings of fighting, what a lot of people don't understand is that in MMA specifically, a lot of MMA fighters at a certain point don't really attend like technique classes, whether it's for striking or grappling. And they just really mostly spar most of the time because that's all they have time to do outside of their schedule in order to get ready for a fight. So, you know, you get guys fighting at a pro level who aren't as technically sound as they should be because they got away scraped by with like, you know, a five and no amateur record and they want to make money as fast as possible. They link up with some regional pro- professional MMA organization. They might get a shot at like a Bellator or LFA or a CFFC, make a little bit of money there. And then all of a sudden you never hear about them again. And that's pretty much 99% of, that's 99% of the time. That's what happens with like professional MMA fighters in America, because there's no, like, there's no emphasis on like developing athletes. It's always just like, oh, this guy can fight, you know, just put him in there. Not really like a focus on developing technically skilled athletes. Yeah, all the technique classes are for when you're not in a fight camp, which is like two months. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. So that's what I appreciate about fighting. Like people who are like the specialist of their art and they make it work for MMA or just, you know, just specialists and who know who know the sport and know how to win in that sport. There is something really like unique and interesting about being able to watch someone just kind of apply the few tools they have to different scenarios and see like how intimately they learn the timing of things and where it's an opening. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Those people are fun to watch. Yeah. I love it. The last question I'm going to have for you is just, uh, what do you think like people within the queer community stand to gain from being more involved with martial arts, with fighting and stuff? And, why do you think it would be important for the community to become more involved and kind of take back a little bit of that space that's not really been given to them? Actually, I love that question. Thank you for asking that. I'm glad you, I'm really glad you asked that. And honestly, you know, I'm probably going to get off to a tangent here, but like, I don't (laughs) care any, like, honestly, it's just a matter of just building that personal autonomy and becoming in tune with your body as well, which is one thing that you've actually mentioned yourself, uh, Carl. Yeah, yeah. And I started thinking about that. I I really started thinking about that a lot more. And it kind of made sense. I feel like in a roundabout way, like doing Muay Thai is kind of what eased me into realizing that I'm bisexual. And like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I don't actually strictly like men, women, nine, but like, I'm pretty much like open to it. I'm I'm very attracted to all genders or lack of, or lack of. Right. (laughs) And, uh, like, when you're training martial arts, 
it doesn't really matter what you're doing too. This is not really specific to any martial arts, but one benefit to martial arts that I personally like love, and this applies to because it applies at all levels, whether you're a beginner or advanced, is that you're you're moving your bodies and putting your bodies in positions that you would never put them in in any other setting based on the way most people live their lives. Like a lot of people are, you know, usually working their jobs, maybe in school, sitting at a desk and whatnot. And when you join a martial arts class for the first time, that first month is hard because, you know, something as simple as like putting your hands up, keeping your hands by your head, it's tiring. And you're like, why am I so tired? It's like, well, because you're holding up 16 ounce gloves with your hands. And those are like, you got to pound, you got you to pound on each hand and you're holding them up and your shoulders are tired and you're not used to it. And then you see, like, it's always, I love teaching people kicks for the first time because I can always tell who like who sits at a desk all day and they're like, man, my hips are tight. I'm like, yeah, I know. Don't worry. We'll get there though. That's the beauty of martial arts. You'll get there eventually. You don't have to master it now. The beauty is that one thing I love about martial arts is that the best martial artists are usually not the best beginners. And what that means is usually the people who are already athletic talent naturally talented yeah they're impressive when they first show up but the beginners who are not as talented who are usually do martial arts for their first time doing martial arts in general they're the ones who end up excelling later on because they decided to stick with it and they had a more open mind as far as just like you know i might not get it now but i'm gonna get it eventually and I always try to tell students that, like, it's not going to, you're going to suck for the first couple of years, but that's okay. That's the beauty of it. This is one of the things where, like, you're allowed to suck at and nobody, and, like, there are not a whole lot of consequences for it because eventually you're going to get better <laughs> from it. And it's okay. It's okay to suck at something. And it also teaches us, like, it's okay to suck at something a little bit too, which a lot of us aren't, like, you know, we live in a society with, like, <laughs> Oh my God, we live in a society. Anyway, <laughs> anyways, we live in a society that like uh, basically demands perfection, even though nobody's perfect. You know, it's like, that's just, that's US capitalism right there. But what martial arts can do, doesn't always do it sometimes, depending on the gym setting, but what it can do is teach you that there is no such thing as the perfect technique. I might fight a, I might fight, a style that is completely different from another instructor, but we might win or lose those fights. If we fought win or lose a fight against each other, five times out of 10 or like five, like half the time against each other, because not because our styles matter, but because we might've done the right thing at the right time in one fight or the wrong thing at the wrong time in another fight, vice versa, so on and so forth. And it really like shows you that, it's like, oh, so I don't have to actually get everything right the first time around, you know, and I don't have to look like somebody else in order to do well. I don't have to fight like somebody else to do well. I don't have to train like somebody else to do well. I can go at my own pace and I can also define what this does for me at the end of the day, which a lot of people, unfortunately, don't get the opportunity to do in their daily lives because a lot of the decisions that they make have already been made for them. Whereas martial arts, you know, which is you and somebody else most of the time. So it's you and the person across from you. So it's up to you. Whatever choice you make, that's your choice. 
Nobody else had to force you to do it. You did it on your own. If you make a mistake, cool. You can get right back up. We'll fix it. But the choice was yours at the end of the day. It's one of the few, it's one of the few things like sports in general is one of the few things where you do have a choice in what you can do, you know, and you have autonomy over your body and what you can do as well. Absolutely. Like that's one of my favorite things about like getting to coach people and seeing how they progress is being able to explain to them over time that like techniques aren't concrete things, they're concepts. And that concept's going to apply to your body differently than anyone else's because no one else has your body. <laughs> yep. It's fluid. Techniques ex- exist within a spectrum. Sounds very familiar, huh? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to me about this. No problem. I'm very, high. I'm very glad I got to hop on the show. Like I am always appreciate talking to y'all. Like this is, this was really fantastic. I'm glad I got to take some time out of my day to do this finally. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It was lovely to have you. And yeah, since you're uh, rocking a pseudonym for today, I guess we won't ask people where they can find you. But uh, thank you so much for everyone that's been listening to the show. And thank you so much for your support. Um, You know, Southpaw Network, we whole just slew of shows coming now. Um, It's been expanding just kind of rapidly this year. And if you want to support us, you can support us at the Patreon. It'll be in the show notes. and then if you want to support me, uh, my Venmo is Paul Hollyweed <laughs> because I love making fun of British people. 